concert or or a play or some kind of a show where they had the, the opening act, the, the, the warm-up guy or gal that comes out, and their, their job is to kind of get the crowd into the, what's about to happen and, and, uh, and ready for the show. Mary Lou and I went to a, a concert years ago, and the opening act was Chicago. I, I don't remember at all who the, re, the main act was, but I remember Chicago. And, 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 you know, so, and it's no different. Here, you know, here's Jesus stepping in on the scenes and, and uh, beginning his ministry, which is kind of what we're talking about as we begin this week. And, and he had his opening act. From the Jordan River, dressed in animal skins and locust breath, please welcome John the Baptist. John was his opening act. Uh, he was the, the one that kind of set the stage. And, and if you know anything about John, uh, now he wasn't called John the Baptist because he wasn't John the Methodist or John the Lutheran or John the Episcopalian or whatever. He was John the Baptist. He's, he got that nickname because he was baptizing people. And, you know, for us now, nowadays, that may not sound like that big of a deal. And it's not that back in those days, baptism was, was a big, uh, not, big deal is probably not the word, right word. It's not that they weren't familiar with baptism, but they weren't familiar with the kind of baptism that John was doing. Yeah, their, their perspective, this crowd that, that he was speaking to, their perspective of this whole issue of baptism, it was about a, a ritual that, that the religious leaders had come up with that would help a person who was a Gentile uh, outside of the Jewish religion. And so when that per, and a person would come and say, hey, you know, I'd like to become part of the Jewish faith, they had this, this, uh, this custom, these, this system whereby you'd go from your Gentileness to your Jewishness. And it was, it was a number of things. It, it had to do with uh, uh, special meals. It had to do con- with conversations and answering questions. It had to do with a series of, of special washings or baptism. And in that process, you were going from your Gentileism to becoming part of the, the Jewish faith. That's not what John was doing. And, and uh, we're going to talk more about that, but, but because of that, John was, was causing some people to get a little bit frustrated and upset. Now, as we have talked about before, and if maybe this may be unfamiliar, if you're a guest this morning, you may not, uh, you probably heard of these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You probably knew that they were names that are in the Bible, but maybe you don't know the background. These were four individuals who actually were eyewitnesses that, that actually knew Jesus when he was on this planet, that spent time walking with him, talking to him. Uh, Matthew, Luke, and John were, were adults who had chosen to actually follow Jesus during that three and a half years of ministry he had on this earth. Mark was a, was a teenager, but was around them and then part of that whole process. And, and uh, uh, so, so these are eyewitnesses who who have written what they saw. And we have four eyewitnesses, and, and they fill gaps for each other, just like any eyewitness would to an event. You know, Luke will remember something Mark never didn't, didn't totally remember, or, or, they remember, or they add in parts. And so we're going to kind of, in the next five weeks, starting with the day, we're going to be looking at these guys uh, pretty close and the kind of things they said in their eyewitness testimony regarding who, what Jesus who he was, what he was about, why he was here, uh, those kind of things. We're going to start this morning with Luke. Now, you, you probably know, or, or you m- may not, Luke was actually a doctor, a physician. And uh, 
So, and, and you can see that, once you understand that, you begin to get a comprehension. Another thing you need to know about Luke is God, he primarily was writing to those Gentiles, to those individuals who had not been brought up in the uh, Jewish faith. In fact, one of the problems that they were having with John's baptism was, uh, John was actually, John the Baptist was actually baptizing Jews. And the people, or the religious leaders especially, are saying, Jews don't need to be baptized, we're we were born into the, Abraham's our dad. He's our, our forefather, and we were born in, so we don't need to be baptized. And John's baptizing them, and they're saying, wait, something's off here. He, he's, he mixed up. Somebody needs to straighten this guy out. So, so Dr. Luke, you know, he writes, and, and he, his is, description, it is trying to help Gentiles understand, but it's also a lot more details. In fact, you, if you want to read his, uh, in the next week, and I encourage you, read his description of the crucifixion. In fact, compare it to the other eyewitness testimonies. And, and he'll, he goes into the most detail, the physical details of what's going on, uh, because those were interesting to him as a doctor. And so he says, as he begins his, his eyewitness testimony, he says, I carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I've written down an orderly account. And, and that word orderly means chronological. He says, Here, here's, as an eyewitness I have carefully, not only have I, did I myself see these events, many of them, but I've also interviewed other eyewitnesses, and I've carefully recorded all of this, and, and I put it down in a chronological fashion so you can follow the, the, from birth the whole life of Jesus, but especially most of what the, the, these eyewitness testimonies were about was his, his ministry, those three and a half years or so when he was doing ministry. In fact, here, here just to give you an idea of, of Dr. Luke, uh, Here's how he begins the story. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atyria and Triconus, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, that's not Texas, by the way, and during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord God came to the son of Zechariah in the desert. Now you look at it and say, wow, man, talk about overkill. But, but here's what's going on here. He, he basically, John is, or, or Luke is saying, fact check me if you dare. Now, some of you, you know, you went to the college and you had this professor that stood up in front of you and, and at one point, just to set the record straight right from the start, he said, any of you people here who believe that Bible stuff, I just want you to know that's all a fairy tale. It's fictitious. You need to, if you're going to be in my class, you need to throw that junk away because that's all it is, is junk. <laughs> and, and, and Dr. Luke says, oh yeah? Well, just let me tell you, before I even start talking about this, let me set this in history for you. Fact check this. These events that I'm about to write about took place when actually the ruler of the Roman world, which was the, mid, the world in those days, was a guy named Tiberius Caesar. Under him, he placed over the Judean area, the Israelite area, the conquered territory, this guy named Pontius Pilate. You can check it in the history books. And then, and then they set up these kings that, that, that were supposed to be Jewish kings that, that were in charge of certain areas of the Israel nation. Herod was one of them. His brother Philip was one. And Triconitus was one. 
And he says, and in fact, let's go on down in, in charge of the Jewish religion. The guys who were in charge were the two high, were the high priests. And if, you know, some people would say, well, wait a minute, they only had one high priest at a time. Well, it was a transition period, father and son, and it was two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. And in fact, that may be one of the things that, that uh, one of your profs pointed out and says, wait a minute, he, had, he interviewed for, in this trial. He went before two guys, and they both claimed to be high priests. Yeah, that's right. It was a father and son. And, and, and he ended up in that, in that fake of a trial being taken before. And so Luke is saying, hey, <laughs> you know what? Check it out. And that's part of the problem is there have been people who haven't even done that. They, somebody once told them that there was a bunch of junk, and they said, oh, okay, makes sense to me. And he's saying, check it out. So he goes on, he says, in the midst of that, there's this guy named John, John the Baptist. And he went into the country around Jordan and began preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He started going around, he started talking about people. He said, something is about to happen. Something amazing is just about to happen. We need to be ready. God's going to do something in each, in, in our world that is going to change everything. But we need to get ready, and that means we need to, to, to get ourselves in a place as, as in, and he was talking to Jews, which was part of the religious leaders' problem, as Jews, as the ones who claim to be the followers, the ones who have that special connection with God, we need to make sure that our lives demonstrate us. And so he says, we need to repent of this direction we've gone, the things we've been doing as a nation, the choices we've made. And so he's, he's calling them to baptism. And, and for a while, he's traveling around different places, talking about this, well, eventually he had so many followers that he just settled into one spot, and they started coming to him, according to Matthew. The people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, and they came to John, and John's talking to them about getting ready for what's about to happen and, and calling them, if, if they want to, to, to basically say to God, we're, we're there, we're ready. In fact, we recognize that that uh, we don't deserve any of this and, and we'll demonstrate it by being baptized. And, and so John's sending this message and they're coming to him. In fact, they're coming from all over, by the thousands. Uh, so if, if they came from Jew, Jerusalem, that wasn't an easy feat. That means that they actually, it was a full day journey by foot. So, so you, you know, they're, they're getting everything ready the night before because you got to get your supplies ready. And so they get it all ready. They leave before sunrise in the morning. They walk the entire day. They get there a little after sunrise. And then the next day, they're going to try to find this guy named John the Baptist. And that's what's happening. People are doing that because they want to hear this guy. He, he's, he's saying stuff that they've never heard for generations. And, and, and it's making sense to the people. And, and they're coming from everywhere to hear him, to hear what he has to say. But it's causing some problems. Here's one of the problems. Periodically, in, in uh, this period of time in, in the history of the, of the Jews and the Israelites, and they're under Roman rule, but periodically, uh, because they're all waiting for, they were told way back by the prophets of old that someday God was going to come back to earth. He was going to come, he, the Messiah, they called him. God, the Son of God, was going to come and step onto our planet. And, and so they've been watching for this. And periodically, somebody, some, some guy, some, some nut, would, would claim, I'm here, I, I've arrived. And, and as long as he kind of kept a little small group and kept pretty quiet about it and didn't, didn't, didn't draw too much attention to himself, they didn't worry too much about it. 
But if it got to be too big of a deal, uh, the, the Pharisees would jump in. The religious leaders, they would jump in to, to quiet down because if they didn't get control of things, the Romans would step in. And the Pharisees hated it when the Romans stuck their nose in, in their business. And so they'd try to calm it down and, and, uh, before the Romans got wind of it. And, and when they stepped in, sometimes it could be bloody because some of these messiahs were... The idea of this messiah, even from the Jewish perspective, was he's going to come and he's going to lead us to... to Put down the Roman rule. We're going to go to battle and we're going to slaughter those people. And Romans would get weird of this. And uh, they'd say, huh, yeah, we'll take care of that. And they'd, there'd be a blood, bloody little battle. And they would get rid of that Messiah. So, so that's problem one. Problem two with John is he hasn't, he hasn't fallen the rules. You didn't just decide you're going to speak for God and start bringing a crowd together and talking. There were rules. There were, r- were rules that they had set up. You need to come in for an interview, an ordination process, and, and they'd talk it through and, and make sure that you were lined up with their perspective on how things were going to take place. And, and, and then they had to check your references, and there was all these steps that needed to be taken, and John didn't do any of that. And so they decided, they're, they're, they meet, and then they say, well, we got to do something about this. We need, at the very least... We need to go check this guy out. Now, the Pharisees, you know, that's a long trip from Jerusalem, and, and they don't really want to do this. So they, they gather, they send a group out on their behalf, and, and what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to go and find out who is this guy. And so they go looking for John, and when they find him, they have some questions for him. Uh, and, and so they find him. He's down by the Jordan River, he's been, and they listen to him preaching. All these people are listening to him, and so... Comes the opportunity, and they ask some questions. And they, first of all, they say, "Okay, are you are you claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ?" He says, "No, I'm not." Okay, well, we'll we have this story. One of our prophets talked about that someday a guy named uh, our Elijah of Old Testament, uh, someone like Elijah or Elijah himself, was going to show up before the Messiah. Are you that person? Are you that Elijah? No, not me. Okay, well, we also have this thing about a prophet showing up before. The Messiah, are you that? And, and again, he, sa- he says, no. And, and finally he said, well, well, who are you? You know, we got to go back and give a report. And going back and saying to the powers that be, we can tell you who he isn't, but we have no idea who he is. They're not going to be satisfied with that. Well, so, so who are you? What do we go back and tell the religious leaders about you? What, what do you say about yourself? He says, I'm the voice, like Isaiah the prophet said, I'm the voice of the one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, I'm sure with some grumbling, they think, oh, geez, this guy's impossible. And they head back, and they go to the, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, and they, they get in there in, in front of them. They say, well, well who, who does he say he is? Well, we're not sure. I can tell you who he isn't. Well, well who did he say? He said, well, he says he's the voice, and it's not the television show. He says... He's, this, he's just his voice out in the wilderness calling for people to come to the Lord. And, and the, you know, the Pharisees did the little, this little, uh, you know, when you, when you want a job done right, you just got to do it yourself. And so they pack up and they get their old whole entourage, which would have been a much bigger deal than this first little group. And, and so they head out for doing this journey down to, to, the, to the, the, hear this guy and, and confront this guy with, find out for themselves who he is. They're not going to let him off the hook. He's, he's going to answer their questions. And so they get there, and it tells, the Bible tells us that John sees them. John the Baptist sees them coming, 
And before they ever even get a chance to open their mouths, he says to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, hold it right there. You are a bunch of snakes. I don't know who gave you a heads up that you needed to repent, but I'll tell you the truth. I don't care what you say. I don't buy it unless I see some fruit, unless I see something in your lives that shows that you're ready to to set aside this stuff that you call God religion and actually become a have hearts that say, I, I want to really know God. He said, I'm not going to buy a word. And, and they, <laughs> they're, for maybe once in a long time, they don't know what to say. And they turn around and leave. They go back, they go back to Jerusalem. And then John makes a statement. He says, I baptize with water to the people now who have remained. But among you stands one you do not know, He's the one who comes after me. And the thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He says, there's someone coming. This is a, this is a, this is a historical moment. Among us now is someone who will change the world. In fact, the next day, and this, this is, it's a hinge moment in history. The next day, John is back, all the people are back, and he sees Jesus in the crowd. And it said, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. Now, I emphasize that word, look, because, and here's why. You know, folks. I know, folks, you know, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, believe. He didn't say, you just need to have faith. He didn't say, uh, obey. He said, look. And and that word means examine. Check out the evidence. And, And some of you know, folks, some of you may be this person that, you know, you walked away because your introduction to Jesus was, well, here's what it is. You know, you just, you just gotta believe. You just gotta have faith. And, 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 and in your mind, that sounded like there's what, what God would want from you. God's looking for this. He's looking and he's put this hole in front of you and he's saying, just jump in and you can't see the bottom. You don't know how bad it's gonna hurt when you hit the bottom. And, and that's what God's looking for. You gotta make this leap and that is never the way it was set up. That is not what God set the stage for. And some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute. I, I know that John 3.16 verse. You know, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and, and he says to him, you know, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. And, but you know what? That's not even what that word means. It's not this. It's not this jump, this leap, this shut your brain off and just jump. It's not that idea at all. If you, the word actually is the idea of examine the evidence. Check him out. See if what we're saying about him isn't true. And then make your decision to become one of his followers if you find out what's being spoken is true. That's, that's what is involved there. 
And, and, and you or people you know have walked away because the way we presented it was the other way, and that has not ever been what God has asked of us. It's always been about examining the evidence. Even through the Old Testament, it was about examining the evidence. And some of us still are living there. And so he says, look, here's the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sins of the, of the world. But don't take my word for it. Check him out. Watch him. See if there isn't something about his life that doesn't say to you, this guy's the real deal. But then, you know, here's the crazy thing. Here's the front man for Jesus. He's gathered the thousands of people. They're all there. He, and in this primary moment, a big moment in the show, and he takes the crowd, he hands them off to Jesus, and Jesus leaves. Without the crowds, he heads out into the wilderness, and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is not, that's not what you do when the thing's been set up for you. It, but it says God, the Spirit of God, led him out into the wilderness. In fact, Matthew goes on, he says that he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's hungry. And, and you know, I was, well, why does Matthew add that? Because Matthew wants you to know. You, some of you were told Jesus is a fictitious individual. He never really was here. And Matthew's saying, yeah, he was. And in fact, he was not a figment of our imagination. He wasn't some spiritual thing that we're, you just got to believe because, uh, you know, we, we just kind of sensed that he was around. Now he was here. In fact, he was flesh and blood. He was God in our midst as flesh and blood. He got hungry. In fact, at this particular moment, he is very vulnerable. John has a habit, if you watch the, I went and read John, the gospel, he'll say on a number of occasions, our hands have handled him. Our hands have handled him. He's saying, this guy, he was real. We touched him. We, we spent time with him. This is the real deal. Then we're told that at, at that vulnerable moment, when he's about as weak as he can be in his flesh and his humanity, the tempter, the 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 devil comes to him and he says to them, you know, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And what he's saying is, you know, I know your claim. If you're legit, if this is really true, then if you are God in the flesh, because that's what the Messiah is, prove it. If you got the power, use it. You're hungry, there are stones, Turn them into bread. This is your chance. And you know, that's, that's human. That's, you know, very human. We, we, and in fact, here's the tension that Jesus will constantly be faced with. Never gives in to it, but, but he'll be faced with. Is, is there are two kingdoms in process here. And they're opposed to each other. There's the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. There's the way we do things as humanity, the way that makes sense to us. And then there's God's way who says, here's the plan, here's the way I want you to go. And this is a test here because we have a tendency to say, you know, when I have the power, I should use it to put, for my benefit, you know, to, to put things into place for the way that will most be advantageous to me. That's what power's for, you know. I got the power, I, I use it. Yeah, I might help a few others in the process, but really I want to negotiate, manipulate, uh, whatever it takes to get myself in the best posture I can possibly be. And Satan is saying, you got the power, you say you do, <laughs> prove it. 
And Jesus says, it is written. In fact, he goes back to the Israelites. It's written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He takes them back, quoting Old Testament, going back to the time. And, and he's saying that the Israelites, they're being fed manna. God's caring for every one of their needs. And, and, and Moses says, you know, but that's not what it's about. Yeah, God's taking care of you, but it is really not about how much bread you have and whether it's there every day and, and whether your bellies are full. It's really about, are you willing to serve God, even if your belly isn't full? So then we're told that Satan says, okay, fine. So they go, and he takes them to the temple, and temple that, you know, celebrated. And in fact, he takes them to the southeast corner of the temple, which is, is well, Josephus writes about. Josephus was a Jewish historian. It's the highest corner of the temple. And what makes it especially high is not only is it high on its own, 100 and some feet, 150 feet maybe it was, but it's set right on the edge of the Kindred Valley, which went down below. So when you're at the top, Josephus says that it was so high that there were people who went up there and they'd start to walk out to look and, and they'd start getting dizzy. You ever been in one of those places where it's so high that you're getting a little shaky, a little weak in the knees and kind of back away? And, and, uh, and he says that's how high it was. And so he takes Jesus to the spot and he says, uh, takes him to the highest point. He says, if you're the son of God, here's this question again, you know, if you really are, then, then Throw yourself down, for it's written that he will command, God will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In fact, devil's saying, okay, you can quote, you quote scripture at me, I'll quote some of you. The, your Bible says that God's going to take care of his son to the point that, that actually he will keep his foot from striking the ground. So, you know, and plus, Jesus, I don't know why you did this. You had thousands of people ready to follow you, eating out of your hands, and you walked away from them. That was a dumb move on your part. But we can regroup. Jump off. In, in the daylight, visible to everyone, jump off of this edge and let God do what he said he was going to do, protect you, and, and man, the crowds will be right back at your, at your feet. And Jesus answered to, and, and you know, this is an awful lot like so often our version of faith today. It's like, it's this thing, in fact, Jesus answered said, it is written, do not put the Lord your test. You know, so, so many, some of our version of Christianity is not Christianity at all. And, and I see this all the time, you know, this, you know, here, you know, I'll read it on Facebook. Just say this phrase, and God has to come through for you. And when I see it, I cringe. So, so we got this, this version of Christianity that says, do this, this, and this, and God has to do this. Or, or say this phrase, or, or, or this magic prayer, or, or quote this particular verse, and, 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 and you'll put God in a position where he has to come through to you. And again, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, to the Israelites, and, he's, and they were told, and it was the Israelites had come to Moses, and they've said, you know, God has to do this because we're his people, and we've acclaimed it, and the world knows we're his people, so if he doesn't come through for us, everybody's going to look and say, oh, God can't really do it. And Moses says, oh, man, don't you do that. Don't put God to test, because you know what? He's not afraid of his reputation. And so some of our Christianity looks an awful lot like not not Christianity, but like magic or superstition. And then we, then the world watches us, or, or maybe some of you, you've looked at it and you said, what? I, I can't go for that. They no, shouldn't, because that's not the way it works. 
And that's not what it's about. And, and trying to back God or manipulate God, put him in a position where he has to come through to you because you've done this, this, and this, that's a dangerous place to be. And so God, Jesus says, Satan, not, I'm not doing that. We're not supposed to be putting God to test. And so he tries one more thing. He takes him up on this high mountain, and, and I suspect it was nighttime. And, and by the way, just to, as a... a, a uh, just to let you know, in, in preparation for this series, I've been listening to a series myself of messages that just kind of wrapping my mind around this whole thing uh, by Andy Stanley called 90. And so I, I, if, you, if this kind of stuff kind of sounds like, hey, this is intriguing, I'd like, like to know more about this, I'd encourage you to Google Andy Stanley messages and, and watch his series called 90 because it's really encouraged my heart. Uh, so, so the devil takes him up to this high mountain. It's probably nighttime. And he looks out, and you can see Jerusalem and the lights of Jerusalem. The city It's a beautiful city, all white, and it, almost like it glows at night. And, and he can see Galilee, and he can see all these Nazareth, all these towns that are around there. And he says to Jesus, says, all right, he says, I, I know if you're the son of God, I know what you're supposed to come here, and you're supposed to set up your power and your rule. In fact, I know that supposedly you're going to be the one who overthrows me because I'm the prince of the, of the power of the air. That's my title. I'm really kind of the one that runs things around here, and I got, I got plans for these humans, and, and I know that you're thinking your plan is that you're going to overthrow my plans and you're going to take charge. And uh, so here, let's, let's just make a deal. All you got to do is just one time, just one time, bow down and worship me, and I'll just hand it to you. You don't have to go to this cross. I'll just hand it to you. I'll give, I'll give you what you're looking for. Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And he says, Satan, you know, it, I, I don't, whatever the father decides to go do in, for me and, and with me, I'm going to follow his plan. And see, that choice was there again. Here's, here's the world way of accomplishing something. Here's God's way. Which way am I going to go? And, and say, and Jesus is going to be tempted with that. In fact, it's interesting. Well, I did it again. It's interesting that Luke goes on and says that when the devil finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know what that means? The devil walked away and says, this isn't over. This isn't over. There will be many, as we, and even as we spend some time walking the next few weeks of his life, there will be many opportunities where Jesus is going to be put in that place. The writer of Hebrews said he was tested in every way that we're tested and yet did not ever give in to the temptation. There are going to be those tests where, where, where Jesus is going to have the opportunity. There's going to be this opportunity where all of his humanity, all of the sensibility, wisdom of mankind says, this is your chance to put yourself into power, to take the, the, the horse by the reins, and he'll have to decide, am I going to do it that way or am I going to keep trusting the plan of the Father? In fact, it's interesting. <laughs> From this point, we're told that you know, he, didn't st- he didn't turn bread, stones into bread, but he heads off to a wedding after this, and and he gets to this wedding, and they've run out of wine. And his mom says to him, you know what? They don't have any more wine. Do something about this. And so, so he, he won't. I, I almost think it's almost like a, a way of saying, take this, Satan. I'm not going to do what you said. I'm not going to turn wa- water into wine. But when mom asked me to, or, or stones into bread, 
But when mama says, turn water into wine, I'll do that for her. So, so here's maybe the moral of the story. Say yes to your mama and no to the devil. <laughs> I totally stole that from Andy Stanley, just so you know. And, and, you know, we laugh about that, but isn't it true? Some of us look back at our stories and we're saying, yeah, I should have said yes to mama and no to the devil because, man, did I mess up by not doing that. But, but Satan says to Jesus, I'm not done with you. And maybe this is the last time, this last effort, and it's the, what we're remembering here this morning. Because Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, and he's moving into Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the Passover. In a few days, he'll be in that upper room with his disciples, breaking the bread and drinking the cup, setting the stage for the cross and then the resurrection. But the opportunity is there. Knowing what's in front of them, he comes down to Jerusalem, and the crowds are, are ready for him. They are celebrating. They are ready to hand it all over to him. They're already calling him their king. They're throwing their coats down so that even the donkey he's riding on doesn't have to touch the dirt on the ground. They're throwing palm branches down there, and, and they're celebrating all this, and they're, they're saying, we want you to be our king. This is an opportunity. You don't have to go to a cross. It's all ready for you right now. We'll just give you the power. And as Jesus looks at this and and what they're offering and what they think that he's come to do, he weeps. Because he realizes they've accepted the lesser and are missing out on the greater. And I got to tell you, his heart's mourning today too. Because some of us, someone you know, maybe someone sitting right here in this room, you've done, you've done exactly that. Even, even as, as you call yourself a follower of God, you, you've bought into this, it's about formulas and, and statements and magic prayers. And, and, and so you live your life every day by trying to put, box God into a corner and you say, no, you're missing it. Put yourself in, in, in God's power and, and allow him to steer your life. You know, he, we looked at it a while back. He says, he's your father. You don't, you don't have to try to manipulate your father into doing the right thing. He loves you. He'll do the right thing. You just got to trust dad that he knows what's best. And then some of you, he's, he's mourning because you decided based on some, what someone told you, uh, that, you know, if I become a follower of Jesus, I, I got to turn my brain off. Because you were told it was about this jump, this, this, this faith that, that has nothing to do with reality or, or evidence, or it's just you got to take a leap. And, and so, because you were given the wrong version, you accepted that version, you've, den- you've, you've denied, you've chosen not to follow Jesus Christ, and his heart's breaking. He's saying, that's never what I demanded. And, you know, some of you, you were afraid you were going to turn your, have to turn your brain off to be Christians, but some of you actually have turned your brain off because somebody once told you it's all a bunch of junk, and you didn't even bother to check it out yourself. You just assumed, okay, they know what they're talking about. And John says, look, don't take my word for it. Don't listen to somebody who's given you this story about it just being fictitious. Don't believe you have to shut your brain off. That's never been God's 
heart for you. Check it out. Check him out. In fact, that's what we're going to do the next several weeks. We're going to engage our minds and look at the evidence and even look, you know, of those followers. Here next week, Matthew says that, you know, Jesus is walking along and he comes to these men, these fishermen, he says, follow me, and they leave everything and they follow him. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, you just undermined your whole, your whole, this whole morning. Come back next week. It might be a little different than what you've been led to be. But here's where we end. Look. Check it out. Check him out. Don't take my word for it. Don't take what anybody else has said. Take the time to look at Jesus and see if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for what you need in your life today. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for for making us the way we are with minds that question and wonder and pursue and and have doubts. And and you knew that. You created us that way. And in the midst of all that, you, you take those things and say, good, use that to examine the evidence, to look me over. And Lord, for, for those who have walked away for, because of something someone else has said or a way that, you, that faith in you was portrayed that really is not biblical faith at all, uh, or maybe they walked away because someone told them it wasn't even worth investigating and so they shut their mind off and, and didn't even check it out, I pray that their hearts will be spurred, if, for, if nothing else, to take some time to look for themselves. Thank you for the special season and the times we're going to have this week to continue to think through all the events that were taking place in this last.